If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel from iExplore Science, and I'm just hopping in to invite you to check out an upcoming opportunity to connect with fellow three-dimensional teachers who like just get it, while also growing professionally to become the 3D teacher and leader that I know you are meant to be. I know what it's like to be like the only one in your school, whether it's the only science teacher period, like pretty much been there, or the only science teacher that's really ready for and excited about student-driven science learning. It's really hard doing it all alone, from the actual lesson planning and instructional design to just traversing like all of the hiccups and challenges and new experiences that come along with this type of teaching. And I found it's equally hard, and maybe this connects with you, but it's equally hard when you have those really great days and there's not really anybody who you can celebrate with. Like nobody really gets what a great thing happened in your classroom. So I created the Be Curious cohort program last year to give teachers like you a space to really fill your cup, to be held accountable in like the good kind of way, to help you stay motivated and really ahead of the game, and also to help you learn and grow like while you're at it. So if you're looking for a community-focused program this school year designed to really elevate your teaching and help you bring a truly three-dimensional, student-driven approach to your classroom, please check out the Be Curious community cohorts. You can get on the wait list as well as view all of the details, the nitty-gritty stuff, by visiting iExploreScience.com cohorts. And of course, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and early enrollment opens late August, and the program is limited to six teachers. So while we won't start until September, um, we are going to start enrolling in August. And again, I like to keep the group small and intimate because we really get to know each other. And, it, you know, it's about the community. If you have any questions, please reach out. But again, you can learn more about the Be Curious community cohorts if you visit iExplorescience.com backslash cohorts. All right, back to the show. This is Nicole Van Tassel from iExplore Science, and I'm here with Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And we are starting a brand new season, which probably doesn't mean that much to you, but we're on season seven of the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. So today we are going to be talking about background knowledge and building or not building background knowledge. Yeah. And we're actually, we're going to be talking about this for the next couple of episodes, we're going to be talking about really meeting students where they are and making phenomenon-based learning accessible to all students, especially this year with all of the things that are happening when we're returning to school, you know, 
post shutdown and all of the things that come with that. Absolutely. So one of the things I know I've been seeing a lot and I know you also, um, and in hearing is just like this idea, oh my gosh, our students are behind. Our students are behind. I need to catch them up. I need to build their background knowledge. They can't, I can't start this unit until I X, Y, Z. And I, I understand that feeling, but at the same time, we need to stop thinking like that. Definitely. And I mean, the, the reality of the situation is it is what it is. We can't control the last two years and all of the learning loss that's happened. We can only control what we're doing moving forward. Yeah. I, and you know, like I, I think that we're inclined to want to, I mean, we as humans are inclined to compare my, my five-year-old is constantly comparing everything to everything else. My room is better than my brother's. My pancake is better than my brother's. I can run faster than my brother. And so, I mean, we obviously have this drive to compare, but comparing our students that we have right now to, you know, where our students from five years ago were at the same point, it's not helping anybody. I don't think comparison ever really helps anybody. I try to remind my five-year-old of that all the time. It's not a competition. Um, So, I mean, I think the first thing is just, like you said, recognizing this is where we are. Right. And we don't compare it to where students who were in sixth grade three years ago were, because that doesn't matter. (laughs) Right. I think a lot of us are stuck in thinking about the 2018, 2019 school year and we can't just, we, that's not our reality anymore. We're not there anymore. So we need to figure out what to do with what we are, where we are. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. And the important thing to remember too, is this is across the board. Like absolutely there are equity issues at play. I don't want to disregard that at all, but this is an event that has happened to the entire world. And if your classroom of students are, you know, quote unquote behind. Um, so are many, many other students. It's so it's not like, I just think that's something to, to keep in mind that this is impacting much more than just your classroom or your district. Um, so it's this whole generation of students that are, are going to have, have experienced these challenges. And so that's just something that we can Remember, as we are thinking, I need to catch my kids up. And, and, and really the point of this episode is to alleviate, alleviate that pressure that, that we don't have to catch our kids up in that sense or think about it in that way. Because there are problems to thinking about it in that way. Definitely not. I think um, I was in a meeting the other day and we were talking about like just the stress that we're putting on ourselves by having that be the goal is to like catch them up and, you know, in this year when we know that this year is not going to be a normal year either. So, you know, it's just, that's just creating so much additional stress and we have so many things to worry about. Like, let's just move on from that thought. Yes. And it's stress for teachers, but it's also then it passes on to students because the students are rushed through or our instructional style changes when we think we don't have the time or the, when we don't make time for things, right? We do this in our lives all the time. We're like, I'm super busy. So I don't have time to do something for myself or take care of myself or exercise or whatever. Right. Even though we know like exercising 
is probably going to make you feel a lot better. And you'll be able to deal with the stress and the busyness that you have going on in your life. We throw it out the window. And I think that happens when we're teaching too. We're like, I don't have time to do, to do exploration and discovery. So I need to just lecture and shove all these notes at my students, but that doesn't actually help them learn. So then it just makes everything worse. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, so I don't know what you're seeing, but a lot of what, what I'm seeing is like reverting back to lecture-based teaching so that we can backfill all of this, like knowledge that students didn't get from the previous year. Like I'll just, I'll just tell them all the things and catch them up and then, and then we'll move on from there. Are you seeing anything? Oh my gosh. Yes. I, someone sent me a message the other day and was kind of like, I can't wait to dive into this phenomena that I've chosen, blah, blah, blah. But first I need to teach them. And they like listed all of these science concepts and I'm like, wait, no, 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 don't do that. Right. <laughs> You're going to lose them. Don't, don't. Yeah. So, so why don't we want to do that? Cause I mean, there's, there's a world in which that kind of makes sense, right? Like they missed out on all this stuff. So we got to, we got to backfill all that stuff. So why don't we want to do that? For, well, for me, I just really, I mean, my vision for school is, and for my kids and all, and, and all of that is just that our students are intrinsically motivated to learn. Like I want our students to be these lifelong learners who are curious and want to know things. So the big thing that really sticks out to me personally is just, it's an engagement killer because you're, they, they have no reason to know this kind of quote, boring stuff. Um, at this point, and yet you're shoving all the boring stuff at them and you've just killed all their curiosity before you've even started. And it's so much harder to get that spark, you know, lit again for a topic when you flooded them with a bunch of the kind of basic info. Cause let's be honest, like the basic info is not always that interesting. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, but if you have like a reason to want to know that basic info, cause you have a bigger puzzle or problem you're trying to solve, then it obviously it, it lends weight to that. So anyway, so we can get to the basic stuff, but when you front load the basic stuff before you've really, you know, dove into the phenomena and really cultivated that curiosity, you just, you've lost kids before you've even begun. For sure. And we know what happens when when kids are bored, then the behaviors escalate. And I know that we're seeing a lot more in the behavior realm than we were before all of this started. Like behaviors are absolutely escalated right now. And I just like, think about the amount of effort that it takes to get kids to be quiet and listen and do all of those things when they aren't engaged, they don't (laughs) really care. And they really just want to talk to their friends because, you know, in some cases they haven't seen their friends for two years, you know, like, it just, you know, it's like, it's like pushing a rock uphill. Like it's just a constant battle. Yes. And that's the, the stuff that drains teachers too. Like I remember before I, I, I switched to a more exploration and discovery approach and like the 3d and NGSS and all of that. I mean, I was doing the, the lecture and the notes and it was every day just felt like such a battle waiting for them to be quiet or, you know, implementing consequences or, doing whatever I needed to do, you know, to get their attention and to get their, um, interest, or even if they weren't disruptive, they were like sleeping, you know, high school students are sleeping and you've spent all of this time preparing the notes or the PowerPoint or the lecture. And you think it's cool. And you're just, why don't they care? And it was just so frustrating and draining. And then it was like, once I made that transition, all of that weight was taken away and it was working with students and, and just facilitating and, 
it was so much easier (laughs) being in the classroom. (laughs) Absolutely. So if like, if you don't take anything away from this, it's like, just think about how much easier your classroom is if you don't have to care if they are talking or, you know, those kinds of things that they're, yeah, it just is it. I have been in my new position. I'm now like going in between classes and it just, I see teachers doing so much work and I just want to tell them, no, like let the kids do it because one, if they're doing something, they're in more engaged. And two, like we cannot do all of the things we can't, you know, like it's too much. We're tired. I like, I know the teachers are so tired. So, yeah. And it's, it's, you're, you're spending all this time, you know, making the PowerPoints and doing the notes and, or, and, and then scaffold it because you have to have your regular notes and then you have to have your scaffolded notes. Right. And all of that stuff, you're spending all your time and energy doing that. And then it's not even really that effective, you know, like the the kids don't remember the stuff just because you told it to them. doesn't remember stuff just because I told it to them. <laughs> yeah. I like, so one of the things that we see a lot on IEPs, I don't know, this is where say, the same with you are with where you are, but like a lot of the things we get is like, um, that we have to get them a copy of the notes and stuff like that. So I was, you know, making my PowerPoints and then making, you know, like, like some sort of notes that was accessible for my students with IEPs to like, you know, put in their notebook and it was, it was so much work and it was every day. And it was like, I have to do this just to be able to have class tomorrow, you know, like, but we don't like, that's the whole point of this type of learning. We don't, you can put that onto your students. They can take ownership of their own learning. And not only do they learn better, but you, you address so many of those management issues Mm -hmm. because they are actively engaged in it. Right. And yeah. And I mean, obviously we, and we've done a lot of episodes on other relationship building and all of those foundations of making it work. Um, so I don't, you know, want to reference those, like that's an important piece of this component or of this like puzzle as well, component of this puzzle, but, but it does take so much weight off of you when you have those strong relationships, you have that foundation and then you shift the work to your students. It's so much better. Right. So much better. And like it, gives them the space to talk to their friends without, you know, being super off task, you know, like they they just want to talk. They don't really necessarily even care what they're talking about. And if they're talking about, I don't know if they're talking about argumentation, they're seeing or like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) their observations and their questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They just want to have like some sort of interaction with, with their peers. Right. Which is totally understandable. We, everybody wants one. (laughs) We're all a little bit, I mean, we've all been a little bit starved for interaction. Right. Um, I think also the one kind of final thing is when we are so focused on building this background knowledge, it is totally throwing us back into like the pre three dimensional days where all of the focus was on the content Mm -hmm. because you're, you're essentially saying this content is more important than three dimensional instruction, than building the skills, than helping them understand the scientific worldview or these lenses through which we can understand things, the cross cutting concepts, we are literally just saying this content tops it all. And obviously we have worked so hard in the last, I don't know how many, seven years, six, seven years, yeah. eight years now, yeah. um, trying to embrace a more three-dimensional approach that says all of these parts are important. And when we, when we are so focused on building that background knowledge, we're kind of reverting back to that like non-3D approach to science education. Absolutely. And I think those SCPs are the first ones to like fly out the window, you know, like 
like, oh, we got to get through all this stuff. We'll just, you know, let's not do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that is literally what, I mean, those are the tools and the ways of thinking and the ways of doing that scientists do. So you're, you're kind of depriving your students of a whole huge chunk of what science is maybe right. like a bit a bigger chunk of what science is. Right. Those are also the skills that are going to be applicable to them, no matter what field they go into, like no matter where you go, it's important to analyze data. It's important to understand arguments. It's important to be able to communicate, um, you know, scientific ideas or understand those that are, that are presented to you. So it's, it's not the thing you want to, to, to throw out at this time. I mean, ever, but yeah. Right. So can we just like dive briefly, very briefly, because we're going to talk about how we start units in the next episode, but can we talk about why it's okay if they don't know everything with the discovery-based learning? Like, oh my gosh. Yes. So, I mean, first of all, you're starting with phenomena and the whole point is to ask questions. And so, I mean, hey, they're going to have more questions, but that's not a bad thing, right? Right, for sure. And and the whole point of this is that they're figuring out that phenomena, phenomenon, like if they already know the answer, then it's not very fun to figure out because they've already done it. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, um, it's like movie spoilers, you know, like, like yes. I already know what's going to happen. So I'm not that invested in in watching this or reading this book or whatever. Yes, exactly. That is so true because I mean, even, okay, our students for sure. Okay. So phenomena, we we've talked about this. It really does provide an, um, an, it levels the playing field a bit. It provides that kind of equity because all of your students are having a shared experience that they are then going to investigate throughout the unit. And so it gives them all a starting point. And I think, I don't know if I talk about this on the podcast or not, but like one time I was, in, I was hanging out with a bunch of, with my, my friend was a teacher and her husband's an engineer and it was a bunch of engineers and their wives. And like, they were all just talking about their engineer wife experiences. And I was like, I don't even know where to start here because I don't know what it's like to be married to an engineer. Like my husband's a banker. I don't know. Um, and so it made it really hard to engage. So phenomena is valuable because it creates that shared experience where, Hey, we can all have a part in this conversation. Some might have more to share, like more background knowledge, more understanding that they have, you know, accumulated in, I don't know, watching PBS or, right. or in previous right. classroom you know, years or whatever, but at least everybody has like something to say or something to add or something to refer back to. Right. So it levels the playing field, but then it's okay. If some people have more to say or not, if some students have more, um, that they can explain about it or add to it. They might have less questions, which I don't think is a good thing, actually. I think more questions is always better. Or they might have different kinds of questions that even go you know, deeper. So, you, so honestly, I can totally see value in that because you might have some students that have very little background knowledge and they ask the like, very entry-level, um, kind of lower-level basic knowledge questions that get you into covering all of those basics. And then you might have students that can take it further and then you know, their questions are going to like propel you into even deeper understanding of the content. And then you might have students who have a mix of those or both of the, or, you know, they, they cover the basics through your explorations and then they're ready to dive deeper. So it's just, it ends up with a really good, I think it's, it's a, it's better because you have said that diversity. For sure. And like, hopefully your, your phenomena is relevant enough to student lives to where it's not something, I don't know, like, 
that they would see on PBS, you know, because it's more specific to them and their lives yes. and, you know, the things that they're right. Yeah. Yeah. So they might have like an inkling of like something or another, but they're not going to have that full explanation. Right. right. Like even, I don't know, when I watch um, maybe like historical TV shows or something that are based on like the general history and I might like, oh, I know this little bit of history and I know this little bit of history, but I don't know the full story. And so I'm still interested and I'm still engaged. Right. Kind of cool that I know some of the pieces, but I'm also really curious to like find out, I don't know, some other aspect of it. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah. Um, and then we, we also kind of like mentioned before we started recording, just that um, there's that like kind of collaborative aspect to learning with, I mean, honestly, just humans in general, we learn in like communication with others and through watching others and observing others and like learning is, is a social experience. So we can really like when our, some students maybe have more understanding than others, they can, I don't want to, I don't want to like say like, it's their job to teach the other right. students or anything like yeah. that, but they can, they're like a support, right? You know, they, they can maybe act as a guide sometimes. And then ideally other students will step up, you know, in their areas of expertise or their strengths or whatever, you know? So there's nothing wrong with that. Those gaps in background knowledge where some are more advanced maybe than others or. Right. And that's beneficial to both students. It's not just beneficial to the student who's learning from that student. It's also beneficial to the student who's saying that because a lot of us learn by, by verbally processing that information and like putting it out there and having to explain and answer questions and all of that kind of stuff. So it builds a deeper understanding of what they're trying to say. Yes. And your, I mean, your classroom culture, because you're setting up your students to like understand that it's not just the teacher who's the expert here or the one who has everything to say, like I can, I'm learning from the other students in my class. Absolutely. And sometimes I'm going to be the one that's, te- you know, teaching um, quote, like the other students in my class, like I can be the one leading the pack here. And sometimes I can be the one like following or, you know, or learning or whatever. So I think it, it just creates like a nice classroom culture too, having that kind of varying um, understanding of, the, of your phenomenon. Right. And when students have that kind of understanding that you're not like the, the end all be all of information in your classroom, it also like just has a side effect where they don't ask you for, for other things like, <laughs> like, you know, like, we're what did I do? What did I miss yesterday? Yeah. Like, yeah, they start talking to each other in a like whole, whole new way because they're like, oh, you know, other people other people know things here, you know, like it, and it, I like, that's one of those intangible things that you would never expect, but it definitely happens in classrooms where it's more student centered. They, you know, they're more self-reliant in every way. Yes. And that is a benefit for you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So the, I mean, it really, the point is when you're starting with that phenomena, you you don't need the background knowledge. There's so many benefits to having that diverse understanding. And then you, from there, you know, you've generated these questions and you're ready to dive into explorations. And from there, you can scaffold as needed. And this is something we're going to be talking about in um, some upcoming episodes. Uh, We're going to dive into the science and engineering practices and how we can scaffold those. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about how we do start our units and identifying like you know, we're, we don't want to teach the background knowledge, but we do want to know what our students, what their background knowledge is, right? Right. So we'll talk about that a little bit next week um, and really how we just dive into the phenomena and use that 
instead of spending this time building background knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I hope you guys will, I don't think there was anything else, right, Erin? I don't think so. This, we just kind of wanted to put it out there because I, I, I think that we keep seeing this come up and we just want to make sure that you don't have to feel like you have to build that background knowledge for your students. Like that's totally not what you need to do. No, take that, that off of your plate and just focus on, well, honestly, what's in your grade band and, and then you make adjustments from there. Right. Um, Cause you don't have time to teach everybody else's grade band mm-hmm. and yours either, you know, keep that in mind. So, um, so it's just a matter of like, don't, don't wait, don't build the background knowledge. Don't build the vocabulary. That's a future episode coming up again too. Mm-hmm. Although we do have one that exists um, right now. If you, if you are like, Oh, I need to know anyway, diversion. Um, so, so yeah, we, it's, that's a challenge we've seen teachers, talking about lately. We wanted to dive into that today. And then next week, again, we will get into how we start the units. Thank you so much for listening to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a a review um, on Apple or whatever you listen to. It helps us be found by others. Share us with a colleague. Connect us with your district. Um, PD providers or administrators, curriculum specialists, whatever. We'd love to help and support you in whatever way we can. Yep. And um, you can find us on Instagram at teaching science underscore in 3D. All right. We'll talk to you later. Have a good week. Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.